0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning, we are continuing our journey down the road less traveled the book of Lamentations. But before we go too, too far today, uh, we're going we're gonna to stop for just a minute. And we're, we're going to kind of pause. We're going to look back. We're going to look back at, at all of the experiences of your life. <laughs> we, we, gotta, we, we can sit for a little while if we need to. Uh, <laughs> And as we think back, as, as you look back, I, I have a, a target, I promise. There, there's a focus here. We're not just going to work our way through the years. As you think back, I want you to think about the events or the experiences that, that shaped you as a person. The, the things that, that were maybe hard, the things that were difficult, the things that were maybe painful, the, the things that were amazing. Think back to those things. Think about the, those points in your life that that changed you, that transformed you, that that made you who you are today. That maybe those those times where you were at your lowest point, and, and that transformed you. And now, assuming that those events are are in your past and not something that you're going through today, let's let's. Maybe take a moment and and recognize how in that moment, in that event, God was faithful. And what I would assume is that for some of us, maybe in the moment, maybe in the midst of that transformative event, event, whether it was good or bad, maybe in the midst of all of that, when that was happening to us, it was hard to look at that and say, God's faithful. It was hard to look at that in that moment, in that point in time and say, God is with me. God, God is faithful. God is good. But what I would say, is is it possible that, that that hindsight where we, we look and, and we can look back and we can see that God is faithful in that moment and he has been faithful time and time and time again. This morning, our text is from Lamentations 3, and and that is exactly what we're going to see, is that the the author, the, the narrator that we have in this chapter is looking at their life and saying, man, there's a lot of hard stuff going on. There is a lot of difficult things that are happening. There are are things that, that are being brought about by my own decisions. There are things being brought about by this nation's choices. But in the midst of all of this hardship, in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of the death that I'm seeing all around me, the destruction of everything around me, God is still faithful. The, the theme if we look at this is that that the lord's love for his people can never be exhausted normally when we we come together I don't usually sit here and read a whole bunch of of text to you um this morning we are going to read all of lamentations chapter three and it's it's a little long so just i'm gonna cut it in half and we're gonna take a minute and, and look at a couple items and then we're gonna look at the next section but this is something where it's super important for us to understand what is being said, and it's super easy to look at, especially the first 20 verses, and say, that's not the God I know. That that doesn't seem right. This this doesn't make sense to me. So, so let's read it, and uh, I, I'm reading out of NIV, starting at Lamentations 3, verse 1. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I can't escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and has given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I may, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering and the bitterness and the gall, I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Man, if you didn't have context, if you didn't have direction or experience reading the Bible, these first 20 verses would be pretty rough. (laughs) Who in their right mind wants to be in relationship with that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, yeah, sign me up for the guy that breaks my teeth with gravel. You know, that seems like a healthy relationship to be in, right? Um, No. But there are some very important key points that we need to pull just from that section that, that maybe help us understand this a little bit better as we move forward. The first part is talking about God's wrath, What do we know about God's wrath? And if we look at the very first verse, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. God's wrath is being poured out as a response and as a correction, as discipline, not out of spite. So that's that's the first important piece for us to recognize is that this isn't something that's coming about for these people out of spite because God hates these people. It's coming about out of discipline, out of correction. The people of Israel had fallen away from God, and as a response, God used the nation of Babylon to correct the people and to bring them back not to to harm them eternally, but to to make a way for them to be with him for all of eternity. And then if we look at at verse 18, there's another statement that, that specifically says, so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. If you look back to that time that, that we were talking about, if, if that was a time of, of real hardship, if that was a time of real difficulty, if that was a time of hurt, of pain, of anguish, if you look at, back at that time, in the midst of that moment, in the midst of that trial or that hardship, there was probably some times where you wanted to say, my splendor is gone. There was probably a time where you wanted to say, all hope Is lost. A little funny side story. My daughter Eve just got this little toy, super small toy. I told her, you need to make sure you remember where you put this down because you're going to lose it. Within 30 minutes of her having it in our home, she lost it. Never had it left our home, but it, it, it was lost. And and so she she comes and says, "Daddy, I need you to help me find it." And so we're, we're looking, and she can't find it. And she comes to me, and these are the words that she says: "I can't find it. All hope is lost." <laughs> and then we found it. Uh, <laughs> but but that that just. It was the perfect picture because how often in the midst of obviously substantially larger hardship, please understand, I'm not downplaying the difficulty that we face, but in the midst of that, sometimes we just default to all hope is lost. <laughs> what, what am I going to do? But it isn't what I say that matters. right, verse 18 says, so I say that my splendor is gone. It's it's not what I say that counts. Even though I say that all hope is lost, God says, I am your hope. Even though I say my splendor is gone, tarnished through a life of everything that has happened to me up to this point, God says, I am your splendor. Starting at verse 21, it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to those who seek Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust that there yet may be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. and Let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice, would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why would the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruins and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief so in, until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because all of the women of my city, those who were my enemies without cause, hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and throw stones at me. The waters closed over my head, and I thought that I was about to perish. But I called out on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, "'Do not fear.'" You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me, and you uphold my cause. You have seen the depths of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me, what my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them sitting or standing. They mock me in their songs. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. That's a lot. We have this, this single voice. This speaker who has endured great personal suffering. I mean, you just have to look at that for those first 20 verses to see the personal suffering that, that this person has gone through. but at the same time, they have experienced God's enduring faithfulness. He has come to know God's unfailing and unchanging character. And so in response to the hardship, in response to the difficulties, in response to the discipline that he and his people are currently going through, he prays for renewal. He prays that that he will be able to look forward into the future with confident hope that God will hear what he has to say. In that pause that we just had, in that, that time where we stopped, And we were thinking about those events that that took place in your life. And after you were able to recognize God's faithfulness in the midst of it, and remember, those things don't necessarily happen at the same time. Those things can sometimes take a little while to, to recognize God's faithfulness in the midst of. Upon recognizing that, upon experiencing God's faithfulness, What does that do to you as a person? What does that do to me? In my experiences, I've gone through that. Upon experiencing God's faithfulness, it builds my faith for events to come. When when I recognize God's faithfulness in the past, when I look back at specific events in my life and see where God has been faithful, it builds my faith going forward, recognizing I may face hardship in the future, but that's okay. Because in that moment, I'm choosing not to lose faith. Rather, I'm choosing to proclaim God's goodness. Although Babylon is the country that has come and and brought this destruction upon Judah, those enemies, those those nations that were brought to bring judgment on the the people were instruments of God. God chastised, he corrected the the people repeatedly for the, the sins that they had committed. However, God's discipline does not make him any less good. Do you know that? God's discipline does not make him any less good. It doesn't compromise his goodness towards his people. Rather, his discipline reveals his grace. Even as he disciplines, he is compassionate So then maybe that means that as we experience discipline in our own lives, we're to recognize the goodness of God in the midst of that. What we know is that God is just. God, God does what he says he's going to do. God is faithful. He doesn't change. When, if we are saying that God is just, then that means that he will absolutely punish sin. Can we complain that God is going to punish sin? No. But just like God is infinitely just, God shows infinite love for his people. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Thank you, Jesus. The steadfast love of the Lord. That... That should mean something. The steadfast love, I means the, the love that, that doesn't change. the love that, that isn't shaken, the love that can't be moved, the love that is with you. As a human being, I change. I physically change, I emotionally change, I, I hopefully mature over some period of time. There, there, are, there are changes that are supposed to take place in us, but in the midst of, of my changing life, there's a touchstone that I come back to, and that is the unchanging goodness of God. Though the Lord is just, He is also faithful. He forgives the sins of His people, and His judgment is replaced by Restoration. And this brings us to to a a focus on God's daily mercies. The Lord provides for those in need. His mercies are new every morning. That's verse 23. God's mercies are new every morning. We like that verse. That is a good verse, (laughs) that God's mercies are new every morning. Let's pause for another moment here. I want us to consider a hypothetical situation where we live in a barren wasteland. There is not a grocery store for a hundred miles. There is no Amazon Smile delivery. There is no uh, Instacart order that is an option. There is no wilderness for us to live off of. There is nothing. The only way for us to continue to live is through a box of groceries that arrive on your front porch every single morning. Just enough for that day is a gift from your Heavenly Father. That is the only way that you can exist in that barren wasteland. What would that teach us about the mercies of God? And you say, well, yeah, but it's more complicated than that. But it's not really. (laughs) We've just made it that much more complicated. I mean, if you think back to what happened with the children of Israel, as they're led out into the wilderness, as they are taken out of exile from Egypt into the wilderness, what happens? They don't have Instacart. They don't have Safeway. They don't have Costco. They don't have an abundance of game to feed the hundreds of thousands of people that are there in that place. Instead, they are called to rely on God bringing the groceries to their front porch every single morning. And in the midst of that, they say, great is your faithfulness. God's mercies, new, every single morning. Literally, the bread on our table is from God's mercy every morning. That is true for us today. Just because I didn't go out onto my front yard and pick up the manna off the front porch doesn't mean that God's mercies are any less new. So after the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites wandering, they they recognize God providing for them. Does that mean that all of a sudden they were like these ultra-spiritual people that never had a problem with their, their spiritual walk ever again? I don't think so. As is example of lamentations. <laughs> they, they still had some issues that they needed to work out. Does, does that mean if we we look at the New Testament prayer, we're called to, to seek God's provision right we're called to seek out our daily bread i think we could probably pretty easily look at give us today our daily bread as as help us to recognize that your mercies are new every morning this includes yeah basic sustenance the food that we need the the water that we need to drink but god's provision also comes in the form of daily mercy It comes in the form of of everything that we need for that time. Why didn't God just dump, like, military drop, like, parachute in, you know, all of the food that the people of Israel were going to need for that entire trek through the wilderness? Why didn't they just do it that way? Seems like that would have been a lot easier. It seems like it would have made everybody a lot calmer, right? It's like, oh, well, it's okay because I have everything that I need. Why, why can't it work that way? And let's bring it to today. Why can't you just get everything that God knows that you're going to need for your entire life today? And you can check it off of your calendar and say, that is a load off. Why can't it work that way? He could. Let's be clear. He could. If he really wanted to, he could. But what do we know? We know that God loves us. And what happens if we just get everything we need today? Rather than giving us a lifetime of mercies in an instant that we could store away, God wants to establish a relationship. God wants to have a relationship. He wants us to come to him daily so that we learn about his love, so that we recognize that his mercies are new every morning. So we come and every time we come, we can see time and time and time and time again, he is faithful. That never once has he forgotten us, never once has he left us. And over time, we come to him and we begin to recognize that we can never exhaust the mercies of God. They are new every morning. There is a new mercy for his people every single day. If we look at the the book of Lamentations, there's this this anguish that we see that's coming out, that's being expressed by God's people who are exiled Away. If we we look at the the context of this book, if we look at at the culture of that time, being taken away from the land is a big deal. That land is the livelihood of the people. It is their inheritance. It is their heritage. It, It defines who they are in that culture. It, it gives them an identity. But as we look at the book of Lamentations, we see God's people, they don't get to have the land as their identity anymore. It's no longer do we get to look at these, these square miles, You know, putting it in in English terms. We don't get to look at, at this acre of, of land in my nice house as my identity anymore. I'm supposed to look deeper and recognize that my identity doesn't come from the land that I live in, the city that I find myself in. My identity comes from God. When God speaks to Aaron in Numbers eighteen twenty, he says that his sons don't get land. The, the Levites don't get a inheritance of land like the rest of the, the uh, sons of Israel, but that God would be their portion. And now this is coming true for all of God's people, that everyone is now coming to this point of saying, The land that we got is temporary. But the inheritance that I have, the relationship that I have with God is forever. The land was never the the greatest blessing for the people of Israel. But it served as as a venue for the blessings that came from God. As we... Continue to look through this and we, we've talked about it already from, from last week. We we talk about God's character. Who God is. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His being is, is completely distinct. We we just talked about I change and yet God never does. And so we are completely dependent on him as we go through those changes. Since God is is unchanging, he's reliable, he's consistent, he's everything that he says he is. And so this is the foundation that we can build a, build upon, when we know that God is faithful, when we know that God doesn't change, when we know that his mercies never cease, that they're new every morning, when we say, yes, this is true, this is real, then that's the reason that the author of Lamentations can come and can say that, that God's love will remain with his people, even in the midst of all of the terrible stuff that they're going through. God's love for his people is not dependent on their performance. If you leave here with nothing else today, that that is the, the point for you, is that God's love for you is not dependent on your performance for him. How can God love Someone who is ungodly. How can, how can God love me after all of the things that I've done? You may, you may come to me and say, Matt, you, you don't understand. I, I've done this thing. I, I've had this particular problem. I've, I have messed up in the, the, the biggest way. If you knew anything about me, you would kick me out of this place in an instant. How can God love someone like me? It's possible only through the blood of Jesus. Only through Jesus Christ who suffered and who died on behalf of his people and thereby gave them a righteousness that was not their own, justifying them into right relationship with God. See, it has nothing to do with with whether or not I think you deserve or whether or not I think I deserve the love of God. Thankfully, that doesn't matter because God gives it to us anyway. God's unfailing character is to love his people despite themselves. 1 John 4.10 says, "In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That he sent his son to take care of everything for us. Do you think the people that were in exile, the people that were going through these hardships that we read about in lamentations, do you think they maybe preferred that God would just overlook their sin and start pouring out all of his wrath on their enemies? Yeah. Sign me up for that. You know, let's let's take that particular window, please. But God cannot forget the sins of his people by pretending that something never happened. Because just like God is perfect in love, He's also perfect in His justice. We can't get, we can't pick and choose. We can't say, Oh, yeah, I want this part of the God buffet, but I'd rather not have the, the part about the wrath and the judgment and all that things. It doesn't work that way. And so then we start saying, Well, there's a problem because if the people have to endure the full wrath of God, then the steadfast love of God, it has to stop at some point. How do those two things reconcile together? How can there be complete wrath and judgment towards sin, but at the same time, there be love that is never ceasing for me? Again, it comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. If we we look at at Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation, it all comes back to Jesus. God remains true to the promises that he has made to his people because he addresses sin sin through the, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus pays the debt of his people through full obedience even unto the cross. His blood covers their sin so that they're forgiven. He is redeeming their lives, as we see in Lamentations 3.58. While the people fall under God's displeasure for a time, they will never fall from that state of being justified. What kind of father would I be If at the very moment where my child needs me the most, where they need to to be disciplined, where they need to be corrected, where they need to to be guided into how they should go forward, what kind of father would I be if in the midst of that discipline I say, well, I'm, I'm done with this relationship now. Because I've had to participate and grow you in this way, I'm now choosing to not be involved in this relationship any longer. What kind of father would I be? And... And that's just me as a human father. Our our father in heaven loves us so much more than that. That even while we make choices that are contrary, even as we we do things to profane his name, he chooses not to to completely cut us off. But instead he chooses to bring discipline that, that ultimately brings us back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that we can come this morning and we can proclaim your goodness. God, as we look back at our life, as we look back at those things that, that were maybe difficult, those things that were, were hardships in our life, Lord, as we look back at those things, we can point out so clearly your faithfulness in the midst of them. And God, maybe there are areas in our life where we look back and we still don't see Maybe if we were looking back and we still don't understand what there was to to come out of that, Lord, I ask that you would, would open our eyes to see, that you would give us your perspective in those areas. Lord, remove us from an attitude of victimhood, God. Let us look back at these things and recognize that you are in control. God, as we go out of this place into our workplaces, as we go to spend time with our family, Lord, I ask that you would, would bless those interactions, that you would, would allow us to proclaim your faithfulness to the people that we come in contact with. God, let the faithfulness that has, has happened that I've witnessed in my life be a testimony that brings other people to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.